Hi everyone! This is your host Harmit, and you're listening to Tobin Talks. Hi everyone! Thank you so much for tuning into Tobin Talks today. I'm your host Harmit, and today we'll start off with a news recap. Then, we'll speak with a member of the U of M track team about the team's incredible weekend of personal bests and season bests. Lastly, we'll learn about a policy talk that's examining Manitoba's response to refugees and other newcomers. Starting off with our news recap. Nominations for the UMSU 2023 general election opened this past Monday and will remain open until February 17th at 5pm. There are 13 positions to be filled, some of which are executive positions and others which are community representative positions. All nomination candidacy forms can be found at the Office of the Chief Returning Officer at 116 Helen Glass Center for Nursing, which is open Monday to Friday, 9am to 12pm. Next up, security guards were seen not wearing masks at the Arts Student Body Council's Winter Affair event in University Center near the end of January. Read the February 8th edition of the Manitoban to find out what ASBC President and U of M's Acting Director of Government Relations had to say about this. To honor Black History Month, there are many events occurring both on and off campus. UMSU is hosting the Cosmopolitan, which is a cultural appreciation event, on February 9th. UMSU will also be collaborating with Black History Manitoba to host a youth debate and research challenge on February 18th. Additionally, Black Students Empowerment Society will be hosting its Black Cafe networking event on February 25th at Tablespace. And U of M Black Alliance will be hosting an online panel about the Scarborough Charter on February 15th. Students are encouraged to check out UMSU, Black Students Empowerment Society, and U of M Black Alliance on Instagram to learn more. That's everything for our news recap. Now let's go over to sports reporter Quinn speaking with Rachel Mann about the track and field team's incredible performance at the Jim Daly Classic. Rachel Mann, and I run 60-meter hurdles, 60, and long jump at this meet. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, The first question I was going to ask is, how would you say the team as a group performed at this meet? The team as a whole did really well. Pretty much everyone had a season's best or a personal best, and all of our relays placed in the top three across the board. Oh my gosh. That's actually really, really good. (laughs) Yeah. You guys definitely have a strong track team. As Ken West is approaching, what can we look forward to for your own individual racing and for the team? For the team, definitely our relays. We have a really strong pool, and we have pretty much in every event, we should have one or two people in finals for Ken West. And definitely... A lot of podiums we have uh, in the 60. We have Jordan Sufi in long jump for guys. We have Graham. Uh, we have 
Anna, who is top in the country for shot put. Oh my god. And we have Max, who's second in the country, but first in Can West for the multi event. Mm-hmm. And we have two of the fastest guys in the 600 yeah. in the country. So they'll be uh, hitting the podium at Can West. And then doing? myself, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to make the final for Can West in hurdles. Mm-hmm. And um, also some people will be back from injury. So Maddie yeah. should be meddling in hurdles the multi-event, and long jump and high jump. Mm-hmm. Would you say you guys did better than expected or about the same for this meet? I would say better than expected. A lot of people got some personal bests that weren't expecting to this weekend. Up next... News editor Colton speaks with Shauna Plott, executive director of the University of Manitoba Center for Social Science Research and Policy. Let me give you a little bit of background about the event and then the various folks who are going to be speaking at the roundtable, including Jesse Hager and Mona Gambo, who mutually did the research. So the event is actually part of a larger series that the Center for Social Science Research and Policy puts together, which is the Public Policy Talk. Public Policy Talk happened bi-monthly, and they were addressing various public policy issues here in Manitoba. Usually the format that we use is a roundtable. We invite academics, we invite activists, we invite practitioners, we invite people who identify as many of those hats, including people with lived experience regarding the issues. So on December 9th, in commemoration of Human Rights Day, we jointly held an event called Imagining Imagining the Peg as a Human Rights City. That was an online event. We had over 100 people. It actually ended up taking place a week after the charges were laid regarding the murder of four First Nations women. And and, and at the time, the event took place there just in the feasting of dumping the garbage actually on the dump. So we actually weren't even sure if we were going to be continuing with that event, but we did, and it had excellent response. This event is taking place on the 9th of February, and it's looking at Manitoba's response to refugees and what are the various lessons that can be learned. And when we talk about Manitoba's response, we're not just talking about the Manitoba government's response, but we're talking about Manitoba's response as a whole, so including diaspora communities, various faith communities, the provincial government's response, uh, various cities or municipalities' response, as well as, as community-based organizations and, and, and larger civil society. So we have various speakers who uh, are going to be participating in this roundtable, and we are looking at how Manitoba's responses has differed, and the differing responses between the Syrian refugees who started coming to Manitoba about five, six years ago, Afghan refugees who were arriving uh, about, uh, you know, starting about 18 months ago, and then the Ukrainians who are fleeing, fleeing for safety. They're not actually technically refugees, just under international law, because they are not being granted permanent residency status. They're being granted temporary uh, protective status, which in and of itself is a very unique response that's been offered by the federal government. So Jesse Hager, who's a professor of economics and labor studies, and Mona Gombo, 
uh, who was one of his students, jointly worked on a project funded by the Manitoba Research Alliance, looking at the differing benefits uh, and, and assets that, that were provided to Syrian, Afghan, and, and Ukrainian uh, people who, who have arrived fleeing for persecution and, and safety. So again, refugees and, 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 and then the Ukrainian uh, situation being unique. That work was funded by the Manitoba Research Alliance, and it was actually Immigration Partnership Winnipeg that asked them to take on that work. So Shauna Labman is the Executive Director of Global College at University of Winnipeg and is a, is a world-renowned expert regarding refugee protection, specifically here in Canada. Shakila Ataye is herself originally from Afghanistan and, and is a refugee from Afghanistan who, who then uh, went to Iran and then to Winnipeg. And she also has worked as a frontline worker for nearly a decade, uh, assisting with all of these various refugee flows and is currently a manager of a youth empowerment program um, that's run at Aurora Family Therapy Center that's working with refugee youth to actually develop their leadership skills. And then Nick Karat works as the communications officer for Manitoba municipalities, so he works with all of the various um, municipalities, rural municipalities in Manitoba, but also was one of the main architects behind Manitoba's response to the Ukrainians fleeing for safety, including helping to set up the Welcome Center at the Winnipeg Airport, and he has meetings regularly with the provincial government and the various diaspora communities in, in, in terms of helping to organize. The goal of this uh, of this public policy talk is is really to look at these differing responses, and from that, figure out what are some of the lessons that can be learned to make sure that. The response that has been offered in terms of, uh, uh, for Ukrainians seeking safety, the fact that they can get health cards within, uh, one day, the fact that they are immediately granted the ability to work, the fact that the diaspora community was, was involved in the designing of the response, that those could, uh, actually become not the ceiling, but actually the floor for, for all people who are, see, you know, coming to Manitoba to be, to be seeking Faces, uh, of which all you know is, is a human right. Yeah, yeah. Could you maybe just give a give me a little statement about the work that CSSRP does in general, why they hold this event, and any, anything else more you can tell me about this? So the Center for Social Science Research and Policy is part of the Faculty of Art. We offer four kind of four main pillars uh, in what we do. So one, we hold public policy talks regarding. Policy issues here in Manitoba, uh, and they are open for the general public. They're always free. Sometimes we hold them at lunchtime. Sometimes we hold them in the evening, just to make sure that folks can be able to attend. We we are we are welcome students. We welcome staff, faculty, community members, just folks in, in general. It's just to create a space and a forum for us to be able to talk about public policy issues. So this event is you know taking place on the 9th of February. As I said, the previous one took place on the 9th of December uh, in commemoration of Human Rights Day. The next one that we have is taking place in April. It's looking at harm reduction in Manitoba. What could harm reduction in Manitoba look like? And again, Manitoba, not just Winnipeg. So what could harm reduction look like in rural communities, reserve communities throughout Manitoba? And then we're hoping to hold one um, in June uh, about uh, Indigenous and newcomer relations here in Manitoba. We also offer trainings and workshops regarding various skill-based trainings and workshops, kind of uh, research methods, research dissemination, 
in November, we held one in conjunction with the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation that was called Getting Your Research Out There and Doing Something. In January, we held one, uh, Introduction to Statistical Literacy. On March 8th, we're holding one uh, on Zoom that is uh, Introduction to Qualtrics and Survey Design. And then in May, we're holding one that's talking about mixed methods and actually using a case study that myself, Jesse Hager, and Sarah Cooper worked on. That was a, that's a very good example of when mixed methods worked well. All of these also are free. All of these are open um, to anybody who, who would like to attend. And you can find information on this on the Center for Social Science Research Policy website. The other thing that we that we do is we have a social science speaker series that should be starting up again, uh, hopefully this year, if not next year, that showcases various good research that's done by social, uh, you know, folks within uh, within the social sciences, faculty of arts here at University of Manitoba, just showcasing the research. And then we also have services for fee for various research services that we offer for fee, and this is available to it, it's free for students but it's available uh, for faculty, for uh, various offices here at the University of Manitoba. So the provost office has asked us to run surveys. Um, for instance, the most recent budget survey that was done, we actually ran it and then analyzed it. Um, Marketing Communications at University of Manitoba has also offered us, uh, has asked us and hired us to do research for them. But also we do work with a lot of community-based organizations that would like to have, you know, research projects done or evaluations done for them. So the Manitoba Nonprofit Housing Association, Youth Employment Services, which goes by the acronym YES and Future Forward, has also hired us to do some work as well as other community-based organizations. So that's what we do. And then we try and showcase, you know, research that involves public policy, that involves our life in a way that can be accessible to a large audience. Lastly, we have news editor Colton speaking with Jesse Hager, an assistant professor of economics and labor studies, who's conducting research that will be presented at the upcoming policy talk. We're still in the middle of our project, so we don't have any official findings to release at this time. The project is multifaceted. We're looking at the different programs, supports, and innovations that have taken place with these waves of newcomers, particularly the large waves that had unified specific responses for particular groups. General level, what we've seen happen is certainly some innovations place with respect to trying to provide different types of supports uh, and meet the needs of different groups of newcomers who either are, whether they're refugees or displaced persons, as the persons coming from the Ukraine as a result of the Russian invasion are. There's a bit of a nuance here where the displaced persons that are coming from Ukraine aren't technically refugees. They're temporary residents. Yeah, there's been certainly different approaches taken. With the Ukrainian newcomer group, there's been the reception center at the airport. There's been a one-stop shop set up at a nearby facility to help them with various needs, including quick access to health cards, 
help support with childcare, for example. Those are some of the high-level findings. We saw some similar innovations. The large group of Syrian refugees that came, very clear prioritization and coordinated response from the provincial government. In that case, additional supports with housing, for example. So those are those are some of the early findings, but we're still writing up our results from that that study at this time. Okay. So what inspired you to start this research? I'm part of a a partnership grant with several other academics, um, most of us based out of, of Manitoba. This is a partnership grant that is based on studying poverty-related issues, specifically looking at transformative solutions. We're looking at complex poverty that's often racialized and geographically concentrated. So, for example, in uh, in inner-city Winnipeg, in Indigenous communities, and, and newcomer communities. We have multiple community-based organizations who are collaborators in the grant, who we partner with. Some of those organizations are represented on our research committee. This project came directly from one of our uh, community partners. Immigration Partnership Winnipeg saw a need for this research to take place. I think the motivation stems from hope that the, the new supports that have been made available uh, or the new approaches uh, that have, for example, streamlined access to provincial health benefits for the uh, Ukrainian displaced persons uh, can serve as a model for refugees coming to Manitoba more generally. The Ukrainian situation is somewhat different in that they're only given temporary resident status. That doesn't mean they can't you know, apply for permanent residency, and there's discussions going on about facilitating that. Um, but when refugees are admitted, they're on a track for, for permanent residency. So it's a different classification. And the goal here is to try to leverage that type of systematic response for all refugees uh, that are, are coming to Manitoba. Okay. okay. I, I think inequities, you know, raise raise questions for sure. And this was something that came up in past waves of newcomers as well. So, for example, when the Syrian refugees were coming to Canada, the government of Canada waived transportation loans for many of those refugees. But there were other refugees who were arriving at the same time from similar circumstances, but not from Syria, who, who did not have their transportation loans waived. So the, the question became then, well, why are we providing different benefits for, for a group coming from one country and not providing those same benefits to a group coming from another country? Uh, and I think those type of questions are coming up again with the response to the Ukrainian situation. It seems to be very well received generally that this effort has been mobilized in this crisis and we are taking these additional steps to help the Ukrainian displaced persons settle in in Manitoba. Now, from my perspective as an economist who studies the effectiveness of social programs, you know, there's a lot of evidence showing that investment in social interventions for marginalized populations in general have a really strong 
rate of return and research on the resettlement of refugees more generally shows that society gets a really good rate of return on what they invest in settling newcomers. Like newcomers uh, and refugees in particular, if, if they're successfully integrated, they pay back above and beyond the amount of public money that goes into their services through tax revenues uh, when they become employed and start contributing to our general revenues of government through taxation, et cetera. But we do know that having successful interventions means that we are providing people with the services they need in a timely way uh, to gain access to a strong footing here in Manitoba, which then allows them to then succeed in the labor market and start earning income and paying taxes. So, for example, uh, the type of supports that are being provided for the Ukrainian arrivals uh, with respect to quick access to health care, support with finding child care, allowing them to undertake their medical exams here, as opposed to having to have proof of that before arriving. These, these are all things that speed up admission, that help them get settled quickly. And if we can also address the affordable housing issue, that, you know, that, that checks most of the boxes. You know, mental health support is another one where those are important, particularly for refugees who are often fleeing, you know, very difficult circumstances that can be traumatic. So if we can provide that basis of support when they arrive, all the more likely they're going to be able to start to look for work, successfully gain employment, and then get on that track of successful integration and, and self-sufficiency. Now, you can imagine a very different scenario where those supports are not provided and individuals then end up not being able to find work or end up in what we could call a, a poverty trap where they're you know, struggling to make ends meet and really aren't meeting their, their full potential for what they contribute through the labor market. So, yeah, it, it's great that this stuff's happening. And what I think our community partners hope is that we'll learn from this experience and and broaden the supports available to refugees more generally. Okay, great. Yeah. One one question that occurred to me when you were talking about um the sort of um how Syrian refugees were granted some some supports that were granted to other people, other refugees in similar positions. The ones that have received a lot of uh, with the conflicts have received a lot of media attention. And I'm just wondering how you think uh that kind of plays into differences and in supports that they might receive compared to other refugees? I would say a number of factors play into the responses we see. I think the the scale of the crisis, which is you know linked very closely to the type of coverage that you're talking about, plays a role when there's a large group of people coming from a single place. It seemingly allows for the government of Canada, for example, to have a targeted response for that group, you know, chartering planes, for example, from one area to Canada. So that, yeah, sure, public attention to these crises, I think, mobilizes support in, in several different ways. It, it'll mobilize political support. It also increases the likelihood of success of integration when they arrive in Canada, because our system is based on a combination of public and private support for for newcomers when they get here. So even even in the case of government sponsored refugees where they, you know, their government who's sponsoring them, they get 
government funding for their cost of living when they get here. You still need private sector partners to to help with things like housing and jobs. So if there is that public attention and awareness, uh, like there was around the Syrian case, and certainly as there is in Manitoba around the Ukrainian conflict, that just makes it easier because you have all this goodwill when the newcomers arrive and people want to help because uh, they're aware of it, where they may not be aware of other conflicts that are happening, uh, for example, in the African continent. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, okay, so I think that's all, basically all the questions that I had. Is there anything else that you'd like me to include as part of, uh, part of this? Yeah, I, just to highlight that, well, I'm certainly part of the research. Mona Gambo is, has been doing bulk of the work and the research, and we're, we're both working on the, our final report. But just to acknowledge that this certainly is a collaborative uh, project with, with Mona Gambo. Just a reminder that if you ever have any suggestions or feedback for people who you'd like to see on the podcast, if you'd like to be on the podcast, if you want to send in any of your poetry, short stories, any of those types of things, please email me at audio at themanitoban.com. You can find Tobin Talks Thursdays at 1130 on 101.5 FM radio, which is UMFM radio, and you can listen to us anytime on all of your podcast streaming services, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's it for today, and we'll see you on the next episode of Tobin Talks.